We'll be in John chapter 20 in our Bibles. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Thank you so much, Jordan and Tyler and Megan and choir for all the preparation that was put into that. Depending on a person's church background, sometimes when there's music in the church, people may think that it's some type of a show, depending on the style. Sometime when the choir may give a head bob, Jordan may do a foot stomp, playing the guitar. If you've noticed any of the words that we've sung today, beginning with the first hymn out of the hymn book, going to Christ is risen from the dead, this last one is just kind of like a hymn, modern hymn, what the choir sang. All of those words that were sung by everybody up here from the back all the way to the front, they point to Christ. If you talk to any of these three who were doing this, say it's not about me, any of the choir, Fred, they're doing it to let all of us know that Jesus is a mighty Savior. And we believe that if we can do something, that Jesus deserves everything that we can give. Not only deserves our life, He deserves our passion. John chapter 20, verse 24. We're going to talk about sometimes when that passion may fade. We're in the fifth week of a series on doubt. Imagine if you had been with Jesus at the crucifixion. You'd seen Him die. You'd see Him laid in a tomb. Then you'd seen this, this stone rolled in front of it. And imagine if you were one of the disciples. You may be like Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 24 says, Now Thomas... One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Previous verses to this, as all the disciples were there terrified, all of the men. Imagine that, guys. A bunch of us men are in a room, and we're not looking to go see what we can kill and drag home. We're terrified to the point that the men in a room, upstairs, with the door locked. That means you lose your man card. You don't lose points. You have to forfeit your card. Are we tracking with that? Just a few verses before. They're all dudes. Huddled together. Terrified of the unknown. And then Jesus shows up. He didn't knock. He didn't cut a little hole in the roof. He just appears. And He says, Peace be with you. But Thomas wasn't there. Notice verse 24. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And then he said to them, and notice Thomas's reaction, Unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although, here we go again, guys, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. 
Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you were Thomas? Some of you remember what happened around 2008. If you've got any age on you and you've been in the workforce for a while, you probably tried to do something called maybe a savings account, maybe an investment. You remember when the bottom fell out? All of a sudden, people's retirements were cut in half. People started losing their jobs. People couldn't find work. It's still hard. And sometimes it seems, I have worked so long for so much, but then when it, I think that it's going to provide me security, there's nothing left. And Thomas had been with Jesus for three solid years. Thomas had been with Jesus when it seemed like Jesus was leading this national movement. Everybody looked at Jesus and said, that guy may be the Messiah. And that day the Messiah for the Jewish people was somebody they thought was going to come in. And the Romans had oppressed him. The Romans taxed him. If you were a Jewish male, guess what the Romans could do? They could point at you and say, carry my gear in one mile in any direction. That's why Jesus said, go the second mile. Because it's the second mile when we actually reach people for Christ. It's not doing what's required for Jesus. But it's going above and beyond. And then Thomas is there. He seems kind of like a background type of guy. And all these people are coming. Jesus will go like through a village and there will be a blind guy. And the blind guy will hear this guy named Jesus is coming through. And the blind guy just screams out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Never saw in his life. And Jesus comes over and 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 He heals him. And the man can see. It's people who can never walk before Jesus comes through. And He says, do you believe? They say, Lord, I believe. He says, your faith has made you well. Get up and walk. And the guy begins to do. What is the dance around here? What is it called? Mountain dance. Somebody help me out. There we go. I knew somebody. I don't know if I should say it. Flat foot. Now, I don't know what he was doing, but he was dancing a jig. He noticed when he got up, he did just not get up and say, thank you, Jesus. May I have my bulletin for church? Outstanding. Let me see my songs. Okay. Amen. Go home. That joker went wild. Whenever Jesus does a work in your life, you want to give Him praise. Amen? Amen. Man, some of us have been on the brink. No matter what you fill in, what that brink would be. And Jesus comes by and He makes everything new. And you're just so excited. Then imagine parents that, that you had a girl. Maybe she's about 12 years old. And she got sick and she died. You know what Jesus does? He didn't come do the funeral. He made the undertaker mad. He had to give the money back because he raised the girl from the dead. He healed people who had incurable diseases, leprosy. Those are the people that nobody wanted to be around. And they came to Jesus and he healed them. And then it got to the point that just about a week before everybody killed Jesus, he's coming through Jerusalem and people begin to tear down palm trees. We're like, what's going on? We don't have palm trees here in Rocky Mount, Virginia. And even if we did, that'd be kind of weird to start tearing them down and throwing out on the road if somebody important came through. Wouldn't you say, right? Like, what's going on? That was a way that the Jewish people gave homage. It's kind of like, it's kind of like if the governor came in this morning, regardless of your political party, the right thing to do would be to stand. If you're a soldier in the U.S. military, when your commander-in-chief comes, when someone who has more rank than you comes, it doesn't matter whether you like him or not. The right thing to do is to stand and to salute. When there's a funeral procession in Rocky Mount, 
for someone who has lived a life to a people give honor. They stop, they pull over, and they turn on their lights. That's what's going on here. But here's where it almost gets kind of funny and weird at the same time. Jesus did not come on a great stallion, like for our history buffs. Remember Alexander the Great? His great war horse that only he could train? The war horse's name was Bucephalus. Sounds like a great dog's name, right? Like a pit bull. Jesus didn't come through on a horse. He came through on a donkey. We know it's in the Bible. Sometimes we don't see humor in the Bible. But can you imagine Jesus who everybody... I mean, it's just like people are going crazy over Jesus. But instead of going out and buying or renting the biggest limo slash stallion... He didn't even ride a mare. He didn't even ride a horse. But He comes through on a humble donkey. And people are literally tearing the trees apart, tipping their hats, saluting, pulling their vehicles off, so to speak, and turning on the lights in honor of this man from Nazareth who is doing what no one has ever done, and that is setting people free from sin and physical diseases. Thomas is back there. I mean, can you imagine if you were him? Like, man, this is crazy. This is awesome. Maybe Jesus is the Messiah. And then just a little over a week after that, Jesus has them all together and all sitting around in this room. And he does something that they normally would do on Passover. If you've ever seen the the old Charlton Heston movie, remember uh, the Ten Commandments? When they got that green smoke technicolor. You remember that, right? It's coming out the angel of death. And and they, they, they sacrifice the lamb and then they paint the blood over the door, which is symbolic of whatever is covered by the blood of the sacrifice will be kept safe, will be forgiven. Which is, is to let us know that there's going to be a real sacrifice come one day. And that's Jesus who would die for us so that we could be forgiven. And so they're there on the Passover night. And Jesus begins to say stuff like, I'm getting ready to leave you. I, I, I'm going to be buried. But then one day I'm going to come back. And at this point, they didn't really know. They just thought the Messiah would be somebody who would come in and, and take names and, and kick things. All right? That was going to be the Messiah. And then Jesus begins to, to get to the point where it's almost like he seems that he's depressed. You always be like Thomas, the rest of the guys like, what's wrong with Jesus? And then he asks some of them, imagine if you were Thomas, he said, you know, guys, come pray with me. And so they go to this garden of Gethsemane in the middle of the night. And Jesus begins, he like collapses there. And he begins to just pray like he's never prayed before. The guys are kind of like, what's going on? And then they look a little bit closer and then they say, well, I need to pray with Jesus. But then they got tired. It's kind of like Sunday morning when you get up. You know, you should go to church. But those covers, all of a sudden, they turn into like Randy Couture. And they grab you. And they suppress you. And they hold you to the bed and end up sleeping in. The disciples crashed out. And Jesus was a little ways further. And he began to pray with such fervency that his blood capillaries broke. And there's blood mingled with sweat. But then everybody woke up. When all of a sudden, the garden was filled with lights of torches. The treasurer of the group, Thomas, had gone out and basically got a gang together and they came with clubs. They came with weapons to arrest Jesus. And so Thomas, at that time, you're like, wait, everything's been going so good. I mean, Jesus has done all this and all of a sudden, uh, wait, what's that? He just betrayed with the kiss of death. He just betrayed Jesus. And then Peter, when he saw Judas betray Jesus and he knows that they're going to take Jesus, he pulls out his sword and chops a man's ear off. 
And then Jesus says, put your sword away. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Jesus leans down and he picks up, and if this grocery yet, I'm sorry, it's in the Word. He picks up a severed human ear and he reattaches it and heals the man who had almost been killed by one of his own disciples. And then Jesus willingly goes with the men. And at that point, it was like a panic hit everyone and everyone fled. Can you imagine being Thomas or being Peter, hearing at a distance the Jewish leaders screaming at Jesus, accusing him? And they brought him to Pilate. They accused him of being an imposter, accused him of being basically a sorcerer or a Satan worshiper. They take him, they begin to beat him. You ever heard somebody being beat? Fist on face, fist on ribs, foot on face. Even, we don't know where they were, but if they could have overheard that, they thought, everything that I have believed, it seems like it's unraveling. And then when the morning hits, if you've seen the passion of the Christ, it's done so well. When Pontius Pilate says, well, I will, if you want me to, to do something to this guy, Jesus, I'll just flog him. And once they beat him almost to death, he brings him out and he says, I've done enough. And he says, what would you have me do? And the Jewish leaders say, crucify him. Torture him to death. That's what we want. We want blood. We want vengeance. Upon who? The guy who was healing people. And then Pilate's looking in the movie. It's kind of like, what? It doesn't make sense. Why would you you hate this guy? And then they take Jesus and they crucify him on a cross. And then he dies. How can the Messiah be killed? Then they put him inside the tomb and they roll this huge stone in front of it. And then he's just there. And then all of the guys gather together and they say, we don't know if we're going to be crucified as well. We thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but we don't know about anything anymore. Let me translate that. Jeff, you don't understand. I used to go to church all the time, man. When I was raised, my mom would, I had drag marks on my shoes, but she would drag me to church. We'd be there with mom and dad. They brought us to Sunday school. We'd hear the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. I remember before my divorce, it was like we were one big happy family. And, and we, we actually read God's Word at the house. And we, we studied. We prayed together. It seemed like everything was right. But then one day, it was like hell pointed its sniper rifle at me and my family. And everything is crashed and burned. I don't know what to do anymore. That's Thomas. Then he shows back up and he hears something that may be the most wonderful thing anyone could ever hear, but it would be horrible if it was a joke. They said, we have seen the Lord, which means we've got something that you haven't experienced and we could possibly be pulling your leg. Ever had anybody pull a prank on you? Remember when I was in fourth grade, Sunday school class? We got ready to sit down in Miss Bidwick's classroom at Mulberry Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And what I thought was going to be a seat there, I sat down and my buddy Scott pulled it out from under me. And if you've ever been where I was expecting to sit down in a seat, but you end up sitting down on the ground a lot harder than you ever intended to. And everybody points and they say, ha, ha, ha. We won't ask for a show of hands about how many have had that happen. 
But sometimes we can get to the point where we withdraw from Jesus because we think that the news about Jesus is too good. Notice what he said when they said, we have seen the Lord. He said, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And we know that the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And I looked this up. And they said that the phrase that he uses, I will never believe, is both of the words in Greek for no, or not, or never, or nada. It's the strongest way to negate something. What he's literally saying here is that unless Jesus shows up to me, buddy, you're not pulling my leg. I'm not believing this Jesus stuff because I saw him die. People today say, Jeff, I have seen terrible things happen. I don't know about the Bible. I mean, I've heard it's a holy book and, and there's, you know, Jesus came to die for our sins, but I don't really know if it can be that true. What if Jesus did rise from the dead? Does that mean that he can do anything for me in my life? And Thomas is here and he's doubting. Warren Wearsby says this about a doubter. He said, it may sound sophisticated and intellectual to question what Jesus did, but questions are usually evidence of hard hearts, not of searching minds. Thomas represents the, quote, scientific approach to life, and it did not work. After all, when a skeptic says, I will not believe unless, he is already admitting that he does believe. He believes in the validity of the test or experiment that he has devised. If he can have faith in his own, quote, scientific approach, why can he not have faith in what God has revealed? The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 6, that if we ask God with doubting, we're like a wave of the sea that is tossed to and fro. And notice what happens here in verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, right? Here you go, guys. They're in there. They're scared. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, let me just stop right here. No matter where you are in any era of history, wouldn't it be kind of freaky if somebody just appeared in the room? Like, let's, let, let's just put it, and this is real life, this is real history, but let's just imagine if we were there, wouldn't that freak you out maybe just a little bit? You're there scared and Jesus is all of a sudden there and He says what we need to hear, peace be with you. Isn't it a good thing that Jesus is not a practical joker like some people know? Because if so, He would have said boo and they would have busted the doors open even when they were locked. Jesus said, peace be with you. And notice who Jesus goes to. Jesus goes directly to Thomas and He says in verse 27, put your finger in, in the hole in my hand and put your hand into my side. Now notice that Jesus doesn't Pull out the mighty Torah of the Old Testament and boom, cold caught Judas for doubting. You know, the Bible says, we've gone over this the last few weeks, that the book of Jude says to have mercy on those who doubt. We serve a God who is not just the answer. We serve a risen Christ who is not just the truth. But we serve a God who is on a mission to seek after us and save us. He's just not there saying, all right, kind of like the labyrinth, kind of like a rat maze saying, okay, left, left, right, uh, uh, you messed up, you're going to have to start over. He's wanting to reveal himself to us. And driving thought of this message is that Jesus is willing to reveal himself to any and everyone who's willing to see him. 
He's willing and ready. Because Satan wants us to think that Jesus is trying to play a game of hide and seek. I've talked to so many people and they say, Jeff, man, it's Jesus appeared to him. That's in the Bible. How can I have any type, any way of confirmation that Jesus would ever do something like that to me? Jesus has revealed himself through the teaching of God's word. And it's so simple. You, You ever been in church before where they actually open up the Bible and read it? Amen? That is not in any way a reflection on me thinking I'm a good, mediocre, or bad preacher. It's just an issue of what we believe. Because at the end of the day, look, I'm, I'm 31. I'm a rare breed. I'm a single preacher. I've never been married. I don't have kids. I don't have anything. I've got opinions. But who are you to come and say, Oh, Jeff, how should I write the Word? When I say, I, as God gives me strength, I want to give you the Bible. Because the Bible is what will help us navigate the minefields of life. Then Thomas is here and Jesus is saying, put your hand in here. Go ahead, I'm here. And notice that Thomas doesn't do any of it. Look at verse 28. Does it say that Thomas went and he actually said, okay, Jesus, hold still. All right, let me put my finger here. All right, check. All right, check the gash on your side where they speared you on the cross. He falls down. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. In the original language, it literally says, The Lord of me and the God of me. Ever been to church before and somebody's read the Bible or if you've had that friend who really cares about you and they explain the gospel to you? And it's almost like you begin to feel really guilty. You ever been there? It, it's like they begin to talk about Jesus and all of a sudden you begin to come become very uncomfortable, right? Almost like they're a used door salesman, okay? And they begin to talk about things like sin, like, like putting things in front of God or, or lust or coveting, being a person who, who, who cheats or, or someone who, who has a foul mouth that comes from a foul heart. It's not a cussing problem, it's a heart problem. And all of a sudden, you begin to see like this distinction between Jesus and how perfect He is and how jacked up you are. And then it's like you begin to feel so guilty. You're like, woo, okay, let me, let me do one of these in church. You ever seen that? Right? That's like, it's time for me to go. Or sometimes, if you've been sharing the gospel with your friend, they'll be like, okay, well, um, yeah, thanks. They'll kind of like sit up, like after you've been sitting and, well, I got to go dust my baseboards. And I, I got something to do. I don't know. I'm kind of, kind of busy. I've got, uh, you know, homework to do. It's like, well, I thought you were out of school. Well, I, if I ever went back to school and I thought it may be good to do some homework to get prepared when I go back. And it's like, we just get so guilty. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says the way God draws us to be saved is number one, never ever telling us that we're good. How many good people do we have in here? How many good people do we have at the other churches in Franklin County? It's quiet because there's a huge lie in the South that if you're good, you go to church. If you're bad, you don't. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when the gospel is explained, it shows us that we are sick. It shows us that we have the symptoms of sin. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why. 
It's the guilt that leads us to say, I need someone to free me from the guilt. Does that make sense? It's so awesome that God would be so merciful to show us what's wrong with us. Just like a good coach is going to see someone not swinging the bat right or pitching right, and he's going to come and tell them what's wrong. The thing about Jesus is He doesn't just correct our behavior. He makes us brand new. So we don't sell religion at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. We give people Jesus. And that's what our world needs because it's Jesus that can fix families. Amen? It's Jesus that can transform your heart from being so worried about your 401k that you don't give to poor people. Jesus cared for the poor. He can transform your life to where if you've been around a person, if they're so angry and contentious, you could give them a ball bearing and they'd have it flat in 30 minutes. Right? Like that kind of mean, cantankerous, bitter, ornery, grunting around. Jesus can change them. Jesus can take a woman who has had a past. Any past. Jesus can change a woman who's been a prostitute. Which, by the way, who was there with Jesus as he was being crucified? His own mother, John, and Mary Magdalene, a former prostitute, a woman of the world. If you have a past here today, Satan will tell you, oh, well, the preacher's preaching about Jesus and what he can do. Well, he can do that for Thomas. He can change Thomas. He can change those good people. Lie. We ain't good. Jesus is holy. Jesus is good. And that's why we need him. Amen? This isn't some type of lifestyle place where we come and try to... By the way, it feels really weird to wear a tie. I told Jordan this morning, so if this... I don't, I don't know where I was going with that. Normally, I, I don't, but it, it's kind of like I'm being strangled here this morning. So I'm going to wear a tie for Easter, son, so I don't know. I'm sweating bucks. But anyway, what this is not is not a place where we come and say, well, I got my little checklist. I want to do, 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 do. This is a place where we all come. But here, we come out of humility. Man, what an amazing thing for you guys to be here at all. Like, that's a pretty good view of us. Oh, they're coming at all. No, seriously. There's so many places in the world to where evangelical Christianity is so small. I've got one of my best friends is a German guy. It's, it's hilarious. I brought him and there's a him and uh, an Indian friend from school. I brought him to uh, Cheaper Than Dirt, the huge gun place in Fort Worth, and it was so, it was so so culturally relevant because he left with a box of AK-47 ammo, and my Indian friend left with an environmental flashlight. I don't know how that got to put together, but he's anyway. That's. He said in Germany, the church attendance is virtually, I mean, it's minuscule. I told him where I was from in Florida. I said, it's pretty secular there, man. Like 10% of people are in church on a Sunday. They're like, 10%? Well, it's like a revival. Just the fact that you come and you sit, not listen to me, but listen to the Word of God is a sign of, of humility and brokenness. And we come here to give praise to Jesus Christ because it's only Him who can save us. Craig Groeschel said this. I got up um, around 4 a.m. today. I was so... Jordan, I did. You think I would. I'm, I'm jacked about Easter, man. I, I'm pumped still. Craig Groeschel had a tweet really early this morning. He said, if you want to check him out as pastor of LifeChurch.tv, amazing man of God. He said, until we see ourselves as sinners, we won't see our need for a Savior. Got to come to the point to where you say, I'm a sinner. I'm bad. I need Christ. Because if we're always holding to our own goodness, we'll never see our need of the one who can save us. Jesus came and fixed the problem of sin and of death. 
And for me, uh, some, many of you know about my brother Jordan who passed away a couple years ago with cancer. And I, I just look at those verses previous to this about everyone throwing down the palm branches and how in Thomas's life and the disciples, everything saw, seemed like it was good. Remember I'd go home and breaks in Florida when I was in college and my brothers are in middle school and high school and they're hilarious, man. Hilarious. If you want to check, they've got videos on the internet. It's just hilarious. Like they they go to Best Buy and pull their pants up real high and just like run run through people. Nobody knew what's going on. There's like no point to it. And they would they like run up and open the door for somebody. They say, Welcome, man. Then they just take off running. Nobody knew what was going on. It was just it was hilarious, like totally random. You know, and I was there and I seriously I laughed eighty percent of the time when I was home because Justin, the youngest one, would play off of Jordan and they were just like a tag team uh, Mo and Curly but a lot more funny and, and then the cancer hit and then nothing would work the home the health stuff didn't work the chemo the radiation didn't work and then it came to the point where I was uh, sitting by his grave and uh, after he had uh, died and I, I just said Lord I got to be honest um, I was teaching some, some classes at the time and then teaching at church as well I said I don't know I believe that you exist. I believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God. But I, I can't say in my heart or in my mind or anywhere in between that I have confirmation that, that my brother is not just here in the ground. I mean, how, how do I know to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord? How, how do I know that the fact that he had repented of his sins and been saved by Jesus Christ, how do I know that he's not just here? And that that's not him. How do I really have confidence that he is with the Lord. I just said, I was like, Lord, I'm just being real. It was like at that moment, it was, it's like if you've ever been spotlighting legally. You know that a Q-beam is a very important piece of equipment. And it was like the Lord just turned on a Q-beam inside my heart and my mind and said the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been studying the resurrection about the only way you can come to any other conclusion than Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead is if you are trying to find another conclusion, if you are biased against the facts. Go check out our message next last week from the podcast. And it was like the Lord showed me this. If I can demonstrate, Jeff, to your small mind, sometimes we give ourselves way too much intellectual credit. Amen? Well, that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, explain physics. Right. And we think, like, if it doesn't make sense to me, it's not real, because I'm obviously perfect, and I'm smart, and that's crazy. All of us can learn. If God was like, if I can demonstrate to you that my son came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, then everything he... Go with me on this. There's no greater claim, there's no greater smack talk that you can throw out than after I die, I'm not, it's not going to be a 30 minute after the car wreck, it's going to be three days, I'm going to raise, be raised to life again, never to die again. There's no greater claim that you can make than that. So if God could show my small mind that that's what happened, then everything else that Jesus said also is true, Right? Things like, I am the resurrection and the life, that though a man may die, yet shall he live. 
When Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, it was like at that time, the Lord took away my doubt and gave me faith again. Gave me renewed faith that because of the resurrection and because Jesus is alive, it's because we can have faith that those who we've loved, who have been saved and transformed by Jesus, are there in His presence today. Amen? It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's what we come here today to meet about and to praise. If you ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress, you know it's an allegory. It's a story of the Christian life. And there's this guy named Pilgrim. And he's carrying around this huge pack on his back which symbolizes sin. And he tries to go up this hill that symbolizes legalism. Places that say in order to get to God, you've got to be good. Nobody could get up the hill. Even Stallone on, cl- on Cliffhanger. Nobody could get up. Goes to Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Mr. Worldly Wiseman says, you, know, you just need to make money. You need to be a good businessman. Be a good moral guy. That didn't satisfy. And then finally at the end, Pilgrim, Christian, comes to this place to where there is a, a cross. And he, and he kneels down. And guess what happened to the burden? John Bunyan writes in the book, the burden fell and rolled away. We come to the point to receive the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will save us from a devil's hell. But not only that, He can transform us today. That's the point where we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus and He will take the guilt away. He will take all the sin away. So, let's bow our heads and close our eyes as Fred and our musicians are coming up to play. Bowing our heads and closing our eyes. This is a time on on Easter. If you're sitting there in your pew and you say, Jeff, man, I've been away from the Lord for a long time. I used to love the Lord, I think. But I've just had things happen. I've I've had a separation in, in my relationship with Christ. Just this morning... Make that right again. Just turn, repent, turn back to Jesus. Just pray to Him right now where you're sitting and say, Jesus, I want to be, I want to be with you again. And Jesus will take you back. And for the ones who may be lost religious people, you may attend here every Sunday. This may be your first time. You've got a church background. You got baptized. You joined a church. You got sprinkled, you got confirmed at one point, but there is no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. In other words, if, if we ask you the question, do you know for sure if you died right now that you would be with Christ in heaven? You say, man, I don't know. And if you say you do know, is there a change in your life? When you say you got saved, did your life change? If not, if there's no change, there's no Christ. Today, repent. Receive Him as Savior and Lord.